Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. Good morning. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke chapter 16 today. This is going to be a sermon on our continued series that we've been in, the parables of Jesus. This parable comes right after the parable of the Good Samaritan. And this is probably, the parable that we're going to be looking at this morning is probably one of the strangest and most confusing parables on the surface that Jesus teaches. It's often referred to as the parable of the unjust or the shrewd manager. And you know, just like in all of Jesus's parables, Jesus gives us several warnings, and he also gives us several reminders, and they are found today in the parable that we're going to be going through. So I want to just help us to think about the things he is going to be reminding us of and warning us of. And if you're like me, there are times that in life that you can be giving given reminders and warnings, and you, you're just tempted to ignore them. I've got three that I want to share with you that are real examples in my life. Number one is that warning that is on a, on a ladder that says, do not stand above this step. Can I, is anyone else ignore this, this warning? I mean, my question is, why do they put that step there in the first place if they don't want you to step on it? All right, secondly is trampolines. Okay, see all these kids jumping on the trampoline? Look at this warning label on here. It says, only one person at a time on a trampoline. And then it says, use trampoline only with mature, knowledgeable supervision. Well, that cuts me out as I was watching my kids. And then it says, not recommended for children under six years old. Is there anyone in the building who has not violated this warning? Look at there on the, on the side there. What is that? Don't try to beat your head through the, the trampoline. And then the other one, yes, yeah, says no jumping or no fun. Or um, you, know, you know what that looks like? No praising God. That's what that's saying. I knew trampolines were against us, so. But you know what the most ignored product warning of all times has to be? Q-tips. Do not insert swab into ear canal. Now, I have been using cotton swabs for over 40 years successfully because I know how to do it. But it's only for one purpose and one purpose only, which requires me to ignore that warning. I mean, what are they for? I've seen, like, for makeup. I'm like, whoever goes, oh, my makeup. You know, I never take my makeup off with a Q-tip. <laughs> right, Warren? I mean, do you? Okay. But if you know what you're doing with a Q-tip, it, it is a, a great instrument to help keep your ear canal clean. And just, it feels great, doesn't it, Okay. <laughs> So uh, I always carry one around in my pocket with me uh, when I, and it's not, how many, is, is that weird? Okay, well, I'm weird then. You should try it. 
You should try it. But you know, I'm getting to a point here. I'm not just <laughs> saying these things. There's warnings, there's, re- there's reminders, and it's important to keep our ears clean, isn't it? Because if they get clogged up, if they get clogged up, it affects our hearing. And one of the things that we discussed at the very beginning of the parables is that there's two reasons that Jesus gave parables. Number one, it was to hide truth from those who are on the outside, for those who are his enemies who really don't want to know the truth. He uses parables to hide the truth from them. And the second one is to give light to those who have ears to hear, those whose ears are unclogged from the spiritual earwax. And uh, sometimes, you know, we as disciples who have ears to hear, the Scripture says that there's times that we can actually become dull of hearing, and we can begin to ignore Jesus' warnings, his reminders. You know, what that looks like is it, it, we will say things like, you know what, I don't want to hear that right now. Or, I've already heard that. Or, I don't need to hear that when we come to the Word of God. That, that's spiritual earwax. That is becoming dull of hearing. And my, my fear is, church, that we could come this morning to a parable maybe you've heard before, warnings you've heard before, or reminders that you've heard before, and said, oh, I've already heard that. I want something new. And totally miss what Jesus is trying to teach us. So before we get into our parable this morning, I want to pray for us specifically that we will have ears to hear and and that we would take into account what Jesus is, is wanting to teach us. So let's pray together. Father, I thank you again for this wonderful gift of the church, this wonderful gift where we are able to come together as brothers and sisters in Christ and stir one another up to good works. I know that there's some of us in this room that are tired, that are weary. Uh, I pray that you would take this time, Holy Spirit, and encourage us. I ask that you would help us to be attentive to your word. Just like we sang this morning, holy, holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up our eyes again in wonder. Help us to be awakened to who you really are. Help us to see you for who you are. Help us to hear who you are. Fill our hearts with your love. Fill us our hearts with your, your spirit. Fill us with wisdom and power and encouragement and the ability to serve you. Envision us. I pray this through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as we're getting into our passage today, there's a, a couple things I want to point out. And the first thing is, is that this, pat, this parable is given directly to Jesus' disciples. We'll see that in verse 1. But there's times that, you know, that Jesus speaks to outsiders, but this time it says that he spoke to his disciples, his followers. So if you claim the name of Jesus, if you call yourself a disciple of Jesus, then I want to be very clear right now, This morning, he is speaking to us, okay? Secondly, I want to show us that uh, how Jesus is doing what many rabbis of his time did. He's going to argue, build a case from the lesser to the greater, okay? What Jesus is going to do is he's going to take a good example. He's going to take a good earthly example, 
of a bad example. He's going to take a good example. He's going to point to a good example of a bad example and say, in my kingdom, this is not how we live. But then, later on in the parable, he is going to take that bad example and he's going to point to it as a good example and say, but this is how you should live in my kingdom. Hopefully, that might be be a little bit confusing right now, but hopefully as we get into our passage, as we progress this morning, it will become clearer. So if we're ready, let's move forward in this passage, and may we all have ears to hear. Let's look at verse 1 found in Luke chapter 16, verse 1. Jesus also said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. Now, Jesus' listeners would have been familiar with the relationship between a rich man and a manager. The Greek word for manager, oikonomos, it can be translated also as steward. A rich man would have a steward over his, his accounts. And so the first warning, the first reminder that Jesus is giving to us this morning, if you're taking notes, is this. We are stewards which literally means house ruler or household manager. That's what it means to be a steward. You rule over something. You manage it. A steward was someone who was hired by the master to oversee and run the affairs of the estate. And the duty of a steward is to take that which is not their own and then to take it and cultivate it in such a way that it grows and that it prospers for the benefit of who? The master. And just like this man, Jesus is reminding us that we are stewards of God's possessions. And we have been given the privilege to rule over our master's estate in a prosperous way. So that's our first gospel truth I want us to see this morning, that we are stewards. The second warning and reminder is that we are not just stewards, we are accountable stewards. As I said before, Jesus gives us a good example of a bad example, and that is the way that this manager handled what he had been entrusted with. Verse 1 states that this man was wasting, he was wasting his master's possessions. That word wasting is the exact same word that's in the prodigal son's parable. It says that the son squandered or he wasted his father's property in reckless living. And so just like this man is standing before his master to explain his actions, we need, listen, we need to remember, we need to be reminded, we need to be warned that one day, everyone, whether you believe it or not, we will all stand before the Lord face to face and we will give an account for how we manage the resources and the life that God, that Jesus, entrusted to us. And, you know, if you've ever been in my house, um, and if you haven't been in my house, come up to me after the service, and I'll invite you to come over. 
but if you've ever been to my house, when you go into the uh, foyer area, up, up on the left there, there's a picture with a quote on it. It says this, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Now, this is something that we've had hanging there for years because it, it serves as an encouraging warning and an encouraging reminder that this life that we're, we're living in is temporary. We need to be reminded of that, don't we? That this isn't it. Um, the, the moments that we live in, they seem long at times, but have you, have you ever noticed how slippery life is? It, it's kind of like a tomato seed that's on a, a counter. Have you ever tried to like pick it up? You can't, it just, you can't get a grip on it. It's always moving forward, get, getting away from you. That's what, it's, that's what life is like, isn't it? It seems long at times, but then when you turn around and look back, you realize, man, life is just a vapor. My life is short, and the only thing, listen, the only thing that matters is a life submitted to Christ. That is what will prove to have eternal significance, eternal significance in eternity. And you know, in Psalm 90, there is a psalm that is written by Moses. It's actually a prayer that he wrote, and in this prayer, he's recounting who God is. And he says, God, you've been here through all generations. You've, you've always been there. And then he recounts who man is. He says, we have not always been here. We're temporary and we're going to return to dust. We are finite creatures who were created to serve the infinite creator, God. And then he cries out in verse 12. He says, so teach us. Teach us to what? Number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Help us to, to understand who you are, God, so that we can understand what life is all about, so that we may live wisely, so that we may live faithfully, so that we might live with eternal, eternal meaning in front of us, so that we would live productive lives. And you know, unfortunately, in this parable, because this steward has been unfaithful with his master's riches, and because he didn't take seriously his place of leadership, he is being relieved of his duties. That's the good example of a bad example. But then the parable takes a turn, and, and Jesus is, uh, takes this, man's, this man who is a bad example, and he's going to point to it as being a good example for us to emulate. So let's see how he does that in verse three. And the manager said to himself, so he's being dismissed. So he said to himself, what shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? Now this man right now is being wise because when you have a problem, the first thing you've got to do is identify what the problem is. You gotta understand what the problem is. So let's say that every month you're coming short $100 to, make, to making bills paid and you're going into debt. So what's the problem? You're running out of money, okay? You, you've got to, that, that's the first thing you gotta do is identify what the problem is. The second thing you gotta do is you need to come up with a solution based upon your options. So if you're running out of money, 
What's, what's your options? What's the solution? Is it because you're, you're working in a job that really just doesn't pay enough and you need to get a, a, another job? Or is it because you're squandering what God has given you, you're mismanaging what God has already given to you, and, and instead of getting another job, more money isn't what you need. You need to learn how to live within your means. You need to be able to understand what the solutions are and then move forward that way. And that's what this man is doing. Uh, he identifies the problem. What is his problem? He's about to be homeless, right? That's his problem because of what he did. He, there's nothing he can do to change that. What are his options? Well, he says, I could get a, a job and, and do manual labor, but he says, I am not strong enough to dig. Really? Come on. Okay, in other words, I am lazy. Secondly, he, he's like, I could go down to the street corner and, you know, ask for money. He says, but I'm um, ashamed to beg. I, I'm too proud for that. And then he has, he experiences an epiphany. He goes, wait a minute. I still have my master's books. Verse 4, I have decided what to do so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. Notice what he's doing. He's planning for his future. This is important to understand what this man is doing. He's planning for his future once this, his job is terminated. And so verse 5 says, So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to, to the first, How much do you owe, owe my master? He said, A hundred measures of oil. He said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to, the, uh, to another, And how much do you owe? He said, A hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, Take your bill and write 80. See what's happening here? This, this uh, shrewd manager is going to all of the, the master's debtors one by one. Now, Jesus only mentions two of them here. And, and the first one, he goes, who owed 100 measures of oil. You know how many gallons that is? That's a 900 gallons of olive oil. Let me ask you this. How many olives would you have to smush or, or, or press in order to get a gallon of olive oil? Answer, a lot. 900 gallons, a lot more. I mean, that would be a lot of labor, wouldn't it? Knocking them down, gathering them, smushing them, all that, 900 gallons. So the steward uh, says to him, quickly, cut it in half, and the debtor, the debtor doesn't seem to think twice. In his own handwriting, he does it. And the, and the debtor's like, dude, my dude, I like you. Listen, if you ever need a favor, just let me know. I'm here for you. And I think the steward was probably like, oh, don't worry. Don't worry, I will. He does the same for all the debtors. He deceitfully reduces their debts so that they will be indebted to him in the future. A very clever and cunning man this was. And to me, the strangest part of the parable is found in verses 8 and 9. Look at it with me. The master 
commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwelling. What, what in the world is going on right here? Is Jesus, listen, is Jesus encouraging dishonesty? Is he teaching that the ends justify the means? I know people who claim to be Christians that would take this parable and say, yes, that's what he's doing. It's okay to use unbelievers. If they're not going to come to God, just use them to advance the kingdom of God. I knew of a man that was an itinerant preacher, and he would stay in campgrounds and in the middle of the night pack everything up and leave so he would not have to pay there. Because he would say, you know, that it's an unbelieving, uh, someone that has rejected the gospel. Is that what Jesus is teaching? Let me just say what Paul says in Romans. By no means. That is not what Jesus is, is teaching. Let's look at verse 8 again. It says that the master is commending him not for dishonesty. He calls him a dishonest manager, but it says he's commending him for being exceedingly shrewd. See that? For his shrewdness. It's like the master finds out what he does, and it's like he's going, you got to be kidding me, man. That did not just happen. I, I never in a million years would have thought to do what you did. Man, you are good. That, you're really good. I just wish that you had used your shrewdness for me when you were working for me, but man, you've used it here. That, that is amazing what you just did. Because this man has taken a seemingly catastrophic situation and turned it around for his future benefit. And, and this guy covered all his bases, if you think about it. I mean, think about it. He's got the debtors in his back pocket because the moment that they agreed to join in on his scheme to lower their bills, they became accomplices to what he's, he was doing. And now they owe him a favor. And if they refuse to help him out, all he has to do is go, I'm going to blow the whistle. I'm going to turn you in for the fraud that you've, that, you've, um, that you've participated in with me, we'll both go to jail. And how about the master? I mean, what can the master do to this man now? Is he going to go back to all his debtors and go, no, you got to go back to what they originally were and, and risk losing, making them angry and, and losing business relationships? And if he accuses the stewards of fraud, the debtors, they will be obligated to come to his rescue. I think the master right here, when it says that he commended him, that the master commended him, that he's just amazed at the crooked wisdom of this guy, how he was able to uh, turn things around. And, and this is where Jesus is taking a bad example, this man's unjust actions, and he's pointing to his shrewdness. That's what we need to, to zero in on here. It's his shrewdness as a good example for the kind of mindset that we should have as stewards of Jesus. Verse 9 says, And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth. That's That word uh, unrighteous wealth is just an ancient way of referring to earthly possessions. He says, so that when it fails, what does that mean? It means when you die, uh, when your money dies, it stays 
in this life. It, can no, it can't, doesn't go with you into eternity. So it, it fails you. It can't help you in eternity. When it fails, those you have won with unrighteous wealth may receive you into the eternal dwelling. So just as this man shrewdly dealt with money to plan for his earthly home, Jesus gives us a third warning and reminder that we should also be shrewd stewards of the light as we are planning for our eternal home. Now, when Jesus says that in verse 8, that the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light, what he's saying here is that unbelievers, because this is all there is, can be cutthroat when it comes to the way they use their money, their influence, their gifts, to gain advantage for themselves in this life. And so Jesus is teaching through this parable that as children of light, we need to have the same mindset. We need to have the same aggressive attitude with what we have been entrusted with, our money, our time, our influence, etc. Et we need to invest it in a way to gain advantage for ourselves in eternity. Not that we're earning our salvation. This is after we have come to Christ. But the way that we live our lives matters, just like Maximus. Remember Maximus? In Gladiator? What you do in life echoes in eternity. Let that sink in. No, seriously, though, what we do as believers with what God has entrusted with us, it matters in eternity. This is something that is taught all throughout the Gospels. Luke 12, verses 32 through 34 says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Let me read that again. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you, not for you to earn the kingdom, but for him to give you the kingdom. Therefore, I added that, verse 33, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in, he in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now we need to ask ourselves a question here. Do we really believe, verse 32, that it is our Father's good pleasure to give us the kingdom? Do you really believe that you're going to receive an internal inheritance after this life? If so, then in faith, we need to use our money and our resources to win people to Jesus. How? How are we to do this? Well, there's three types of, of people when it comes to money, and they are savers, spenders, 
and investors. Now, I've talked, I've taught this before to our church, but I'm going to teach it again because I think it's, it's a helpful way to think about the way we live our lives. There's savers, spenders, investors. Two of these we don't want to be, and the third we do want to be. Savers, listen, savers are frugal scrooges with their resources, their money. They're, they're golems, mine, right? My precious. They, they are, for all of us locals, they are tight as a tick on a hound dog. They, they are always taking their money and they're putting, putting it away, always guarding what they have. And, and here's why, here's their motive, because their security is in the money instead of God. It's, it's like the parable of the rich fool whose fields were richly blessed by God. And it says that, um, this man, instead of being rich towards God, instead of taking the, the excess of what God had given him and investing it in God's work, instead of investing it in people's, in the lives of people, what did he do? He went and tore down his barns and built bigger ones so that he could hoard it all for himself. And he said, you know what, man, I've got ample goods for, for many years to come, so I'm just going to eat, drink, and be merry. And what does God say? Fool. That's foolish thinking. He's not saying you're an, like you, you're, you're an idiot, like you can't think, you, you don't have a, a sharp mind. He's saying the way, what you're thinking is foolish. Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? Not his, not his, because you can't take unrighteous wealth with you. And Jesus is saying, therefore, while you have it, Use it for eternal means. So there's, there's savers, and we don't want to be solely savers. And then there's spenders. These are the spendthrifts and the, the tiggers of the world. Do you know a, 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 a spender? They, they've got holes in their pocket. They're like the, the prodigal son. They live recklessly and often extravagantly, not thinking about the future, spending what they have on that which is temporal and fleeting. Did you know that you can also be a, a spender of your life? Let me back up. You can, you can be a spender, a saver of your life. You can be a saver of your life where you keep your life to yourself because instead of building relationships with others, you're like, it's just too messy. It's just too messy to get involved with people deeply. So I'm just going to kind of save myself. You can also be a spender with your life, living your life for yourself, living for your goals, living for your comforts, living for your dreams. So we don't want to be solely savers. We don't be, want to be solely spenders, but we do want to be investors. Now, what's an investor? An investor is some, consists of those who know how to save and to spend money wisely or shrewdly. You invest in that which will produce a return. In this case, we're looking at how do you take what God has given you and, and invest it in an eternal, expecting an eternal return? Well, there are two main ways to invest eternally that I think are in this passage. Number one is by investing our money, our time, our resources in people. Investing what you've been given in people. How do you do that? This right here in my hand is $25. This is money that God has entrusted to me. 
I want to invest, I want to invest this this morning in somebody. Okay? So here's what I'm gonna, here's what I'm gonna do. If you will take this $25 and find someone in this room that you don't know and take them out to, to lunch today, this $25 is you, yours. The only thing is, is you've got to give an account to me of how you spent this. So is there anybody in here that wants to do that, that, that would invest this money for me? All right. I'll take myself out. Anybody? All right. But that would be a way to invest money. Take your money and use it to buy a meal for somebody. Meet a need for somebody. A second way is by investing in people and ministries that proclaim the gospel. Let me say that again. By investing in people and ministries that proclaim the gospel by teaching and advancing the word of God. Investing your your money, your time in those types of people and ministries. And let me ask you this. If you've been coming to Reach Life Church, Let me ask, and and you come here and you're blessed by this ministry. Do you consistently, do you regularly give financially to this church ministry? And now, I don't know who gives what in this church. So if I look at you, I'm not going, yeah, do you give to this ministry? And I also want you to know I don't, I'm not after your your money. I'm really not. We don't preach a lot on this. But I do want to talk to you about it this morning because I feel like it's related to our text. You know, one of the reasons that, that I or, or Terry um, get to stand up here week after week and proclaim the Word of God is because people give and allow us to spend time studying the Word of God so that we can rightly divide it. Also, there's, there's ministries uh, that we support. 10% of what comes in in the plate, we give back to people that are investing uh, in the gospel, uh, that are proclaiming the gospel. So, uh, for example, ABCCM, uh, the Transformation Village, we give back to that. We give to people. uh, After the service, we're going to be praying for the Chernuses. If you've given to the church, uh, you have given to help Ukrainian refugees. We've given to help that. Uh, We keep the lights on. Those types of things through the regular and consistent giving of God's people. And so we encourage our covenant members uh, to tithe. We encourage our covenant members to give generously because, listen, it is our desire as as leaders of this church, as elders of this church, for this church to invest in people relationally. We want to build relationships for the gospel, and it is our desire to teach and uphold the Word of God and teach you how to study it for yourselves, and to, to unpack it for yourselves. And, you know, being a shrewd disciple for Jesus, it should be exciting. It should, if you're going, oh, I don't want to do that, then, then, then we're missing the point here. It should be one of the most exciting things for a disciple of Jesus because, listen, God has given us gifts. He's given us talents. He's given us resources to grow and to develop and to invest in his kingdom. And so I would ask you, what resources has God entrusted 
to this church? What has he entrusted specifically to you? Has he, let's say, has he entrusted to you a house or, or a, an apartment where you could have people over? You have a living room. You could have people over for a prayer night or a Bible study or even just to get together and play games together, build relationships that way. Maybe he's given you a vehicle, a car that you could actually use to help pick up somebody to take them from point A to point B, to bring them maybe on a Sunday morning. Has he given you money? How can you use the the resources that God has given you? How can you take that unrighteous wealth and advance God's kingdom? Ask the Lord, show me how to do that. And what about abilities? It's not just money, it's our abilities. God has given all of us different talents and abilities that that, um, he hasn't given to everybody. For example, being able to work with your hands. There's some of us who have culinary skills. Maybe you're athletic you're, you're musically gifted or you're gifted in theatrical arts. Maybe it's teaching, leading, serving. Maybe it's listening. Did you know that's a gift? You're able to sit there long enough and let somebody else tell you their full story without you going, oh, I can't wait to tell mine. Just listening. That is a gift. How can you use the gifts that God has given you to win people for Christ, and to encourage and build up the body. It is such a joy to be able to cultivate and to develop and to sharpen the gifts that he has given, especially when we know we're doing it for his glory. Now, I want to close with this one last thought or question, and that is this. Have you ever thought about who you are going to welcome once you're in the kingdom have you ever thought about who, when, when I get to the kingdom, if, if, if you are a follower of Christ, who is it in my life that, that spent and invested their life in such a way that helped win me to come to Christ? Have you ever thought about that? Because God uses ordinary, faithful people to win people. And you know what? I've thought about that. I've got several people that I, that I will be thanking, many people. But there's a man that I will be thanking, I, want, I hope to thank, and he's someone that I never met in person. He's someone who laid down his life for me, but he doesn't even know about it. Um, it's because it, he, he did it over 200 years ago. His name was Adniram Judson. He, he was born in 1788. We, we named our uh, last child after Adoniram. And... Adoniram's father was a pastor, and when Adoniram was born, it was very evident that he was a a child prodigy because while his father was away, when he was three years old, for one week while his father was away, his mother taught him how to read. So he learned how to read in one week. He graduated at the age of 19 from Brown University at the top of his class, and while he was in school, he walked away from the Lord for, for a while, but Uh, After a few years of wrestling with God, he came back and he solemnly dedicated himself to serving the Lord, giving everything he had to the work of the Lord. And so he set his sights on overseas missions. And on July the 13th, 1813, he and his wife, Anne, landed on the shores of Burma in Burma, Asia, to begin their ministry. And Adoniram Judson spent 37 years there. Uh, first learning their language, and eventually he translated the entire Bible 
into the Burmese language. Uh, they still use that Bible today. But I want to I point out something that it was not easy. What he did, it sounds glorious right now, but in the moment it was not easy what he did. Um, number one, it was six years before the first convert came to Christ. While he was there, he faced constant threat of sickness common in third world countries. He was imprisoned and tortured for two years in a Burmese death camp. Uh, you don't want to be in that uh, in Burma. Uh, he lost two wives and seven of his 13 children to death. Think about that. Two wives and seven of his children. After the death of his first wife and child who, who died from smallpox, he battled for two years with deep depression, um, where he questioned everything that he had been teaching, what he had been taught. Uh, his faith was, was um, definitely stretched and tested. But eventually in time, his faith was restored. The point I want to point out here again is that eternal investing, it is rewarding if you're really doing it the right way, it is not easy at times. There's joy in it, but it can be extremely difficult at times. And you might be saying, well, why, why are you going to welcome him into the kingdom? And uh, I would say that because Adoniram Judson laid down his life for the people of Burma, there were missionaries that uh, he paved the way for in an area in Burma known as the Chin State. Now, again, if you've ever been to my house, you may realize we live on Chin Hills Lane, right? My mom and dad named it after the, the Chin State. Um, these missionaries that went to the Chin State went in 1899, and they brought the gospel to my father's village. In an 80% Buddhist country today, they brought it to his village. And years later, my father, because of these missionaries, who came because of Adoniram Judson, heard the gospel and believed. Years later, he comes to the United States on a medical scholarship. He meets his beautiful bride, and she was in nursing school. They get married, and they raised their family, me, under the same gospel that was brought to Burma by Adoniram Judson. And I have had the privilege of going back to Burma five or six times and preaching the gospel there full circle of what God does. And so now I stand this morning here as a pastor preaching the gospel week after week, in part because of Adoniram's investment of 200 years ago. This is really cool because he gets eternal credit in heaven for being an investor in my life and in yours. Why? Because he acted shrewdly with his life. He made friends by the means of unrighteous wealth. And you talk about residual income. You know what residual income is? I tell, I tell my children about residual income, and they kind of roll their eyes. But residual income is an investment that continues making money even when you're asleep. It keeps on making money. And on April 12, 1850, Adonai, Adoniram Judson fell asleep in Christ. 
He was buried in the Indian Ocean, and yet his investment continues to bring forth eternal profits. Now, my question to us this morning is, do you think that God wants to do that with your life? To impact people that you don't even know about years later. Do you, th- I mean, do you think God can do that with your life? Well, then my question is, what are you doing with the life that you've been entrusted with? you've been entrusted with? Are you saving it? Are you spending it? Or are you investing it? Are you investing it shrewdly in eternal investments that will continue to bring a return long after you've fallen asleep in Christ? And maybe you're sitting here thinking, well, you know, James, I would. I would if I just, you know, was more talented or Man, if, uh, if I won the lottery, oh my goodness, I would, I would end world poverty. Or if I was on the mission field, if I could just get on the mission field, then I would share the gospel. I would be, you, you, would, you would be amazed at who I am in Christ. No, you wouldn't. No, no, you wouldn't. You know why I say that? Because who you are with a little is who you would be with a lot. You say, how do you know that? Because Jesus says so. Let's look at verse 10. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the righteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? If you're not faithful with the money God has entrusted to you, now do you think he's going to and trust you with spiritual things. Verse 13, no servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. In other words, to summarize everything up, you will shrewdly serve the master you love most. So who is your master that you love most? Is it money? Is it yourself? Is it a career? Is it someone else? Or is it the Lord? Is Jesus your master whom you are serving? Again, he says in verse 9, I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. And it's important to understand that Jesus never commands us to do something that he has not already done. Do you realize that? He says, turn the other cheek. He did that at the cross. Go the extra mile. He did that at the cross. Lay down your life for others. He did that at the cross. That's why it's called following Jesus, following his example. And like the shrewd manager, Jesus came to us with our debts, and he showed them to us. But unlike the unjust steward, instead of cutting them in half unjustly, he justly paid for them in full, not with perishable, unrighteous things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood, with his precious blood, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Church, our master loves us. Therefore, we love our master. 
We serve our master because he first served us. And when we get that, we will be eager to make friends with unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive us into eternal dwellings. Amen? He who has ears to hear, let him hear.